When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Welcome to everybody. Episode Tour Sports Podcast. It is Wednesday, February 3rd, 2021. People, so much has happened. Since the last time we recorded the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, uh, we got the storm of the century in, in the northeast part of the country. Hope everybody in New York, Connecticut, New Jersey listening has survived that. Uh, EA Sports bringing back NCAA football, so that's good. And we got a crap ton of college hoops. So really quickly, great show today. This is what we're going to do. Tuesday was a loaded slate of college hoops. We're going to hit on what I believe the three biggest topics are from Tuesday night. Baylor steamrolling Texas, what it means, all that stuff. Tennessee losing. I'm officially out on Tennessee and Indiana losing again. And I am just telling you, it is just awful to be an Indiana fan. We'll hit on those three topics to start. Then I'll elaborate a little bit on a topic that really has been kind of a conversation in college basketball. These blue bloods that are going to miss the NCAA tournament. Uh, Many of you have asked me, okay, uh, I'm a Kentucky fan. I'm a Carolina fan. I'm a Kansas fan. What does my team have to do? Or am I eliminated? Michigan State, etc. What I'm going to do is just run down the five big major programs that are struggling right now Kansas North Carolina Duke Kentucky and Michigan State give you a rundown of where they are what they need to do to get into the NCAA tournament many of them in very very dire straits that is of course probably the biggest story in college basketball right now and we will wrap the show really fun interview first time hope it's not the last time Tom Hart SEC Network really well known in the SEC community had a blast talking to him he only had about 15 minutes but we made the most of it Tom Hart is incredible you can fast forward to the end if you want to listen to him first but he joined me at the back end of the show before we get started i always remind you make sure you're subscribed to the aaron torres sports podcast itunes the podcast addict app if you have an android podcast addict app is the way to go podbean spotify tune in radio also make sure to rate and review the show hit us with a quick five stars really does help us move up those itunes charts and make sure you're following on social media at aaron underscore torres on twitter at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, the YouTube channel doing really well. And as I've told you a few times now, uh, putting out a lot of content in between shows on the YouTube page. So make sure to find us there. Uh, and as always, if you have any questions for the show, Aaron Torres 
podcastquestions at gmail.com. But with that said, people, there is no more time to waste. And as I said, Tuesday ended up being like a pseudo-loaded night in college basketball. Like so much happened on Tuesday. There is so much to get into. And so as I said, I think there's probably three big stories from the day. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on each of them, but instead we'll hit you know, three, four, five, six minutes on each, move on to the next one. We'll get to the Blue Blood stuff and Tom Hart. The first big story to me, I mean, it starts with the number two team in the country that in any other year would be number one, and that's the Baylor Bears. The Baylor Bears on their schedule on Tuesday had what appeared to be their toughest game of the season. They were playing at Texas. Texas ranked in the top 10. It was, I believe, the smallest point spread that they have been all year in terms of being a favorite. They were only a five and a half point favorite. And a lot of people really like Texas coming into this game because you'd think that Texas has the biggest matchup advantage against Baylor, right? Bigger, more athletic guards, they're going to slow down Baylor's guards. Bigger, more athletic players at the rim, they're going to protect the rim, shot block, rebound, do all that good stuff. And instead... Baylor just does what it does. They, they go to Texas, they go to Austin, and they beat Texas, the sixth-ranked team in the country, 83-69, to another dominant win. They are now 17-0 on the season, and this is an incredible stat. 17-0 on the season. They are the first team since the 1991 UNLV Running Rebels, which entered the tournament undefeated, by the way. Uh, one of the best regular season teams in the history of college basketball. First team since the 1991 Rebels to start the season 17-0 with all of their wins coming by at least eight points. Baylor has played 17 games now. They're not only 17-0, but they have won every game by at least eight points, including, again, on Tuesday, beating the number six-ranked team on in the country on the road by 14. It really wasn't all that competitive. Texas made a little run in the middle of the second half to, to take a very brief lead, and then Baylor blew them out from there. In terms of the small term, I mean, in terms of the small term and just the big picture of the game, there's just not a lot to talk about. I mean, how many different ways every time they win a big game can I say Baylor is amazing? But Baylor is amazing, not just because they won by 14, but because of what they did and how it happened. First of all, I, I've told you all year that this team has insane depth. They have so many guys that can beat you on any given night. And I thought Tuesday was maybe the best example of it all year. Uh, Jared Butler is an All-American. He plays really well with 20-plus points. Macy O'Teague, friend of the Aaron Torres podcast, had him on a few weeks ago, uh, was awesome, played really well. But instead, it was their third leading scorer, Davion Mitchell, who's known more as a defensive player, who steps up and, oh, just a little ho-hum, 27 points on five of seven from three from the third leading scorer on the team. And so to me... I think that epitomizes who Baylor is and why they are so dangerous throughout this season. It's because of the very simple fact that on any given night, so many different guys from Baylor can beat you. You look at their roster, they have four guys averaging 11 points per game or more that, can, that have all gone off for 20 plus in any given game. They have six guys who are averaging about nine per game. And then in one of the craziest stats that I've ever seen, they have five different players, and I said this on the show before, but five different players who all shoot at least 42% 
from three, and it's not as though they're bums, right? It's not as though they're bad players. Jared Butler, who's their leading scorer, shoots 45%. Davion Mitchell, who I said five for seven tonight, shoots 47%. Adam Flagler, fourth leading scorer, 44%. And this is who Baylor is. They can beat you with all five guys on the court, and they also might just be the best defensive team in college basketball as well. And despite the fact that they essentially play four guards at many times, they're also, believe it or not, one of the best rebounding teams in college basketball. I couldn't believe this when I saw this stat. They actually lead the Big 12 in rebound margin, which basically means that on average, the percentage of rebounds that they get relative to their opponent, they they have a bigger rebounding discrepancy in their game than any team in the Big 12. And so it's just becoming harder and harder to see the scenario where, where they uh, lose one or two games, if any, going into the NCAA tournament. And really, when I look at the big picture of this game and try to take some big picture takeaways, that's one of them. The first one that I have out of this game is that we have spent so much time talking about Gonzaga as a potential team to enter the NCAA tournament undefeated, and I believe that they will. We got to start talking about Baylor in the same context. I mean, we are now talking about a scenario. Baylor has played more than 50% of their regular season. They're 17-0. They only have 10 games left. And as I mentioned a minute ago, every single win has been by eight-plus points. On top of that, they've essentially already beaten everybody in the Big 12 once. They've played eight out of the other nine teams in the conference, so it's not as though there's some really good team that they just haven't played that's lurking in the background waiting to play them. West Virginia is the only team that has yet to play them, but West Virginia is struggling right now. They just lost to Florida at home. But the two best teams in the conference right now outside of Baylor are Texas and Texas Tech. And Baylor beat them both by eight-plus points on the road already. And so you start to look at the rest of the schedule. And, yes, they do still have two games left at, two games left against West Virginia, but they've already beaten Texas Tech, now they get them at home. They've already beaten Texas, now they get them at home. They've already beaten Oklahoma State with Cade Cunningham, now they get them at home. They do have to go to Fog Allen Fieldhouse, but let's be honest, everybody's beating Kansas right now. There is no home court advantage. That doesn't look like a big game. And Oklahoma, who's actually playing pretty well, they do play on the road, but they already beat Oklahoma earlier this year by 15 points at home. And so when I start looking at the course of the season, I'm not saying it's likely, I'm not saying it's 100% certain, but I think we got to start having the conversation that Baylor is going to enter the NCAA tournament undefeated uh, in the same way that Gonzaga might. By the way, I would argue it might be the best thing for college basketball if Baylor and Gonzaga both enter the tournament undefeated. But, you know, that remains to be seen. But I think it'd be a good thing for college basketball. But I think we got to start talking about that. The second thing, this is really big picture, and this is something that probably deserves a little bit more context, so I don't want to spend a ton of time on it because maybe there will be a better time and place to really discuss this, but excuse me, I was thinking about it after the game on Tuesday, and that's that Baylor might be in the middle of the greatest rebuild in sports history. And I think people hearing that and saying that, oh, Torres, there's another one of Torres' hot takes. This is why people get so mad at Torres. He just says crazy stuff to get a reaction. Here's the bottom line. For college basketball historians, you guys know how bad the situation was at Baylor when Scott Drew got there. But for people who don't, 
do me a favor. Go ahead, pause this podcast. Go ahead and download a bunch of other Aaron Torres podcasts. But after that, after you go ahead and download a bunch of old episodes that you missed, go ahead and Google Baylor scandal from 2003, okay? This was probably the single worst scandal, and I don't want to start comparing one to the other because they're both gross and disgusting. But outside of Jerry Sandusky, this is probably the single worst scandal in the history of NCAA sports. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it now, but look it up. Baylor had a player murder another player on the roster. I am not making this up. This actually happened. Look it up. 2003. They made a documentary about it not that long ago. Murder another player. And then the coach tried to get the the team to cover it up. And like, it's insane. And so when Scott Drew got there, it was just the most toxic, gross, disgusting place that you could ever imagine. And then on top of that, this is how bad the NCAA sanctions were when Scott Drew got there. There was one year Baylor wasn't even allowed to play out of conference games as a punishment again. And I don't mean to make light of it because somebody lost their life, but a player killed another player on the roster and that is what Scott Drew walked into and yet despite it by year five he had them in the NCAA tournament by year seven he had them in the elite eight and twice now he has made the elite eight and only there has he lost to the eventual champ made it in 2010 lost to Duke ended up winning it all made it in 2012 lost to Kentucky and ended up winning it all and so when you talk about just incredible rebuilds in college basketball and in sports in general Scott Drew's got to be at the short end of the list. I can't sit here tonight and say guarantee they win a national championship, but what I'm telling you is from where he started to where he is now, it is just an incredible, incredible build and an incredible, incredible process. He's done it the right way as best we can all tell, and it's just a testament to him and what he's done, and what better feather in the cap than by getting to a Final Four, hopefully meeting up with Gonzaga, potentially winning the school a national championship. All right, a couple more topics from Tuesday night. The first one, look, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but it's the Tennessee Vols. And the Tennessee Vols started the year ranked in the top 10 SEC preseason favorite, a team that many people, myself included, thought was good enough to make a Final Four. Early on in the season, it looked like that is exactly what they were going to do. Let's never forget that wonderful, magical night back in December when they absolutely boat raced Missouri at Missouri. And I thought, I think I even said on this podcast, this might be the third best team in college basketball right now. Oh, yeah, not so much. Basically, since that game, Tennessee has just completely fallen off the radar. And on Tuesday night, they lost at Ole Miss, final score 52-50, to in a game where they had an 11-point lead late and ended the game with one field goal in the final 13 minutes of the game. One field goal. Final 13 minutes of the game, it was just one of the most inept offensive displays ever, at least until a few hours later when Indiana and Illinois played, uh, but one of the most inept offensive displays ever, and I'm just going to say it, you know, I'm officially out on Tennessee, and I love Rick Barnes, I love what he's done with that program, he should be commended for already what he has done with that program, but in terms of this season, all year long, 
even when they started losing, when they lost at Florida a few weeks ago, and then they then they lose the next game at home against Missouri. And I keep saying, just be patient. They'll figure it out. Guys are hurt, this and that. Then they come home. They crush Kansas. But I will say in my defense, when they crushed Kansas last week uh, or last weekend, I said, let's wait and see on Tennessee. Let's not get too excited on Tennessee. And so for them to then follow it up by going to Ole Miss and losing at Ole Miss, a bad team in the SEC, a team that plays hard. In defense of Ole Miss, they do play hard. In defense of Ole Miss, they do play hard. They play real defense. But this is also a team that's lost to Georgia twice this season. For Tennessee to go to Ole Miss and lose this game, it's over. Like, I can't defend it, and I can't sit here and pretend that they're going to go on this magical run and figure it all out. Now, maybe they will. Maybe they'll turn it around. Maybe they need this kick in the butt. But on the flip side, I have to live in reality. As I always tell you, I have to do the show tonight. I can't, you know, take any magic pixie dust and look into the future and see what things hold on March 15th and see if this this team has turned around. But right now, we're basically working on a one-month sample size that says this team is fine. I don't want to say they're terrible. They're not the worst team in the SEC. They're not Vanderbilt. They're not Texas A&M. But they're also not the team that we thought they were going to be which was one of the two favorites to win the SEC and a team that can make the Final Four. In terms of why, I have talked about it a ton, but it's worth repeating. Um, you know, some of it is simply basketball stuff, right? Some of it is right now they do not have a star player, a go-to leading scorer, a guy that wants the ball late and says, give me the ball, I'm going to get us a bucket. Baylor's got six of them, by the way. Gonzaga's got six of them. Alabama's got three or four. Tennessee has none. Tennessee has nobody that can just take over a game late. I've said it before, probably the player best suited to do that is a kid named Jaden Springer, who was a McDonald's All-American, really talented high school player last year, but he is still a freshman. And when he's on the court and he's healthy and he's playing well, he can fit that role. But on Tuesday night, he did not play well. And in his defense, he's a freshman. You shouldn't have to rely on him to do everything. And nobody else stepped up. And so when I look at Tennessee in the bigger picture, I think that last part is the part that bothers me the most, is the fact that uh, we have a team full of veteran guys. We have a bunch of guys who are seniors, Eve Pons and John Fulkerson, a bunch of guys who have come back, who have played in this program, Santiago Viscovi, Victor Bailey was in the program last year. Uh, so many guys who have been involved who are veterans, and you don't have a single guy on this roster that steps up late and not only makes plays, but wants the ball, wants to hold people accountable, is a leader. I mentioned it on a podcast a few weeks ago. When I had Rick Barnes on this podcast, one thing that he said to me, which was very, very, very interesting, he said this in the preseason, I kind of gave him a softball question about having seniors on the roster and the importance of seniors and being leaders and all that good stuff. And I remember him saying, he said something to the effect of, Aaron, you know, we have great seniors on this roster who are really good players, but they're not really leaders the way that you want seniors to be. They lead by example. They show up every day. They're ready to go. They practice hard, but they're not the yay, rah, rah, get in your face, rile everybody up kind of seniors that you expect to have with guys that have been in the program for four or five years and that seems to be a real problem at Tennessee right now you look at this team when things get late everyone tightens up you know it's kind of a you know I'm just going to use a cross sport analogy here 
but there are a lot of great teams that when things get tight, they play their best, right? I know this is an extreme example, but think about the Super Bowl that's coming up, and I'll probably talk a little bit about the Super Bowl on uh, Tuesday, sh- on Wednesday, sh- uh, Thursday show, <laughs> just going through the days, on Thursday show. But don't the Kansas City Chiefs, don't they play looser when they get down? Don't they have more fun when they get down? Don't they play better when they get down? Tom Brady, Buccaneers, needed to make plays late to seal that victory. Did it. I'm not comparing Tennessee to the two best teams in the NFL, but what I am saying is you have great players, you have great leaders, they want the ball late, they want to make plays late, or at the very least they hold their teammates accountable late. Instead, Tennessee completely fell apart down the stretch, and like I said, I don't know if I'm done talking about them because we got to talk about them. They're playing Kentucky this weekend. But I think I'm done just believing that they're going to somehow flip this magic switch. I just mentioned it a minute ago. Baylor 17 games into to their season. Tennessee's 16 games in. We're now past the halfway point of the regular season. We are now past the halfway point of the number of games you're going to play prior to the NCAA tournament. And you don't just change your identity as a team halfway through the season, especially on a night like tonight. Tonight was the night that it was supposed to happen. You have a dominant win at home against Kansas. You're feeling great. It's the biggest win of the season. You finally play to your potential. You think, okay, maybe we have finally turned a corner and we are the team, for lack of a better term, that we thought we were. Instead, you go on the road, you lose to one of the worst teams in the SEC, and it's just over. If you're a national championship contender, if you're a Final Four contender, you go on the road off a big win, and you put the nail in the coffin of Ole Miss when you have them up 11. Instead, they fall apart. Instead, they can't make plays. Instead, they get tight. And I'm telling you, I'm just done believing in Tennessee. Not saying I'm done talking about them because they're going to be relevant throughout the rest of SEC play. But I'm just done with them as a team because I don't believe in them one bit. Uh, Really quick, last thing from Tuesday, and then we'll get to some of that blue blood stuff. But speaking of giving up on, I mean, it's it's tough to defend uh, Indiana at this point. Uh, You know, the reason I'm talking about this game, by the way, is because of the fact that it just ended right before I started recording. And for those of you who stayed up, I mean, my, oh, my, oh, my, did you get a treat? If you like officiating and whistles and stoppages in play, well, my goodness, that was a doozy. That was that was an all-timer. That was one they'll be playing on. I don't even know if, know if they have ESPN Classic. But if they had ESPN Classic with the best games taken over by refs, this was probably the one for you. I looked it up before we came on air just to make sure I had the stats right. It didn't seem possible. 54 total fouls, 66 free throw attempts in 45 minutes of play. I try not to be the guy that comes on here and complains about refereeing on every episode. It was kind of hard not to if you watch the game. It was pretty tough. Um, But in the end, Illinois gets the win in overtime. Um, You know, and and I have a lot of thoughts on it, and I'm not going to spend too much time on it because nobody wants me breaking down Indiana basketball play-by-play. But Illinois gets the four-point win. And all I'll tell you is this. Um, I just feel bad for Indiana fans at this point, right? You know, I've, I've heard people and I've had people compare Indiana basketball to Tennessee football. I don't think the analogy is that far off. Like, I don't think the analogy is that far off where with Tennessee football, it just feels like every time you think it can't get worse, it somehow does. That's kind of where we're at with Indiana basketball. I mean, we're talking about a program in Indiana that has not made the NCAA tournament. How about this? 
Indiana has not made the NCAA tournament since 2016, okay? Have not made the NCAA tournament since 2016. That was the year, by the way, Yogi Ferrell beat Tyler Eulis in the NCAA. That feels like a million years ago. Have not been back since. Um, and this is year four of the Archie Miller era. I talked about the, the Archie Miller era a few days ago when they lost to Rutgers. But more importantly, I just feel bad because every game, Indiana is right in it. Every game, Indiana has the opportunity to get the wins needed to get to the NCAA tournament. And the one thing I'll say about Indiana fans, I find them to be a lot like Tennessee football fans. Tennessee football fans aren't asking for a national championship. They just don't want to be embarrassed. Just get us in the conversation. And Indiana basketball is the same way right now. They just want to make the tournament. They just want to be respectable. They just want to beat some good teams in the Big Ten. And they beat Iowa a few weeks ago, and you think they turn a corner, and instead the opposite happens. They've lost two straight. Um, and what's been amazing about Indiana basketball this year is the way that they have fallen apart late. I mean, Indiana has a chance, had the chance right now to have a really impressive resume. I tweeted this out, and I think some people were kind of blown away by it. But here is Indiana in late games this season. They played Florida State in the Big Ten at ACC Challenge. They were up by two with a minute to go. They ended up losing. They played at Wisconsin a few weeks ago. They were up by six with six minutes to go. They ended up losing. And they were up by six against Illinois with five minutes to go. Immediately give up two threes, tie game, and they end up losing. And so if you want a microcosm of Tennessee or of, uh, excuse me, Indiana basketball, I mean, I think that's a pretty good microcosm right there, right? I just listed off three teams that are currently ranked in the top 20. Florida State's ranked number 20. Wisconsin's ranked number 19. Illinois is ranked number 12. Indiana had all three of them beat and could not close them out. And the crazy thing is, as we get down the home stretch, as we start talking about March, as we start talking about bubble teams, you don't think that matters? Like, you don't think that's a huge deal? That you could not close the games that you had to close? I mean, if you win even two of those games, Indiana with those three losses and with the loss on Tuesday night is now 9-8. and eight. Imagine if you just got two of those wins. Imagine if you got two of those wins instead of them being losses. Now you're talking about all of a sudden, instead of being nine and eight, you're 11 and six, possibly six and four in the Big Ten, and you have a heck of a resume. You already won at Iowa. That might be one of the two or three best wins anybody has in college basketball this year. You won at Iowa, and you could have beat Wisconsin, could have beat Florida State, who's maybe the best team in the ACC, and you could have beat Illinois on Tuesday. Instead, you don't. And I'm just saying, I feel bad for Illinois fans, man. Or Indiana fans, excuse me. You're right on the brink. You're right there. And the team just can't get over the hump. All right, really quick. First of all, I mentioned this off the top. We'll get to the, some Blue Bloods in a second. How about, how about EA Sports bringing back college? You know, we'll get, to college, we'll get to EA Sports after the Blue Blood stuff. But really quick, let's get to the Blue Blood because... You know, I did a big segment on Monday's show. If you missed it, go back and download it. Great show. And I should mention, again, Tom Hart from the SEC Network. Really fun interview. Great guy. You know, really fun guy. Um, you know, Tom Hart's coming up. But I mentioned off the top that on Monday's episode, I, I talked a lot about Kansas and I talked a lot about Michigan State. 
And I think we've spent so much time talking Kentucky Duke this year that I don't think people realize how bad a lot of these blue blood and elite programs are and how many of them really might miss the NCAA tournament. And so I figured rather than breaking down Duke's loss to Miami or North Carolina losing to Clemson on Tuesday night, which happened, by the way, or Michigan State, which also lost, rather than breaking those games down, what I wanted to do, I want to take five programs, Kansas, North Carolina, Kentucky, Duke, Michigan State, and just talk about all five, where they're at, and who might actually miss the NCAA tournament. Because I think when I break down these numbers, you're going to be stunned, okay? So we're going to use those five programs, five of the most successful programs, certainly in the last 20 years, let alone in the history of college basketball. But let's start with Kansas, because I think out of all the teams in this conversation, Kansas is probably the one that is actually in pretty good shape to get to the NCAA tournament. But you also can't say that it is not a team that is not uh, that is trending in the right direction. Um, Kansas is 12 and six overall. They have they're four and six in quad one games. Okay, so for for people who don't know what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna break down the, their win loss record. Quad one wins. Quad one wins are the most important wins. They are the wins that that mean the most in the computers that help determine not only who makes the NCAA tournament but what seeds you get. And so quad one wins are the best possible wins you can get. So I'm going to break down the team, quad one wins, where they're at, and then who they have going forward. And so we'll start with Kansas because Kansas is probably the one that is going to make the NCAA tournament. But again, it's not as though they're playing great. 12-6 and six overall, 4-6 and six in quad one games. But they've lost four of their last six as I record here on Tuesday night. They did get a win Tuesday night, but they've lost four of their last six. And the two wins were over the two of the three worst teams in the Big 12, TCU, and then on Tuesday night against Kansas State. And so you look at this Kansas team, and I'm telling you this, Bill Self, since he has gotten to Kansas, has never had a team in the NCAA tournament. He's made the NCAA tournament every year. Never had a team lower than a four seed. Well, guess what? Historically, this is going to be worse than a four seed. This is going to be the worst Bill Self team in the history of the NCAA tournament. And as I said, um, you know, you can make a legitimate case that this is probably, um, you know, that this is probably the sixth or seventh best team in the Big 12. And that's the crazy part. 12 and 6 overall right now. Here is the rest of their schedule. At Texas, top 10 team. At West Virginia, top 20 team. Texas Tech at home, top 10 team. Oklahoma State at home, already beaten Kansas once. And oh, by the way, Baylor. Not sure if you heard, really good. So you start talking about a Kansas team. Yes, they will probably make the NCAA tournament. They do still have three games against the bottom two teams in the league, Kansas State, and two left with Iowa State. But you start talking about a team that's still got to play at Texas, at West Virginia, plus Baylor, Oklahoma State, and Texas Tech at home. This is looking like the lowest seeded team of the Bill Self era. After that, everybody else is pretty contentious in terms of their NCAA tournament burst. So let's start with North Carolina, because North Carolina was a team that was really interesting. Coming into Tuesday, it felt like they had finally turned a corner. Remember, two, three weeks ago, they were in that grouping of, Can of Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina. Two weeks ago, it was the first time since 1961 that all three of them were unranked. 
And North Carolina was kind of playing themselves quietly out of that conversation. They had won six out of seven coming into Tuesday, and then they get steamrolled by Clemson on Tuesday night. Uh, they get smoked. And so now you look at North Carolina, and here's where North Carolina's at. They're 11-6 and six overall. Doesn't sound terrible. But they're 0-4 in quad one games. So they have not beaten a team that is a signature marquee team in the ACC or anywhere in college basketball. And to me, that's actually kind of the interesting point on North Carolina. Of the top six teams in the SEC coming into the, or the ACC, excuse me, coming into the week, North Carolina had played a grand total of one game against them. They played at Florida State and lost, which was the only one of their six of their seven games that they ended up losing. But they've beaten up on the teams that they're supposed to. You know, the Pitts, the Syracuses, the, the middle to bottom of the league. But they haven't played the best teams in the conference yet. And that's where, if I'm North, a North Carolina fan, I'm a little bit worried going forward. Because this is a team that still has two games left against Duke. Duke's not great, but it ain't going to be easy. They still have to play at Virginia, the best team in the league. They still have to play Louisville at home. They still have to play Florida State at home. They still have to play Virginia Tech at home. And you look at their final uh, 10 games of the season, you can make a legitimate case that eight of them are against teams that could be in the NCAA tournament. And so when you talk about North Carolina, everyone's so worried about Duke stinking and Kentucky this and Michigan State that. I'm just telling you. North Carolina ain't that close from being on the bubble themselves. They obviously played Duke this weekend. By the way, Matt Doherty, former North Carolina coach, probably joined me on Thursday's show. But um, North Carolina is, I think, in a much more precarious situation than people think. My hunch is they get to the NCAA tournament, but they still have a lot of work to do. They have a lot of work to do. Let's stay in the ACC. Duke. So Duke, not sure if you heard. We're trending in the right direction. Kind of crazy. This is kind of a weird thing with Duke. They were actually trending in the right direction. Beat Clemson on over the weekend, who is in Joe Lenardi's most recent bracket. Beat Georgia Tech a few days ago, which is not a bad team. They just stunk to start the season because Josh Pastner had contactless practices, which we've talked about before. And so Duke is finally starting to turn a corner. And you kind of think, okay, is, are these guys figuring it out? Like, is Duke going to actually make the tournament? And then bang. What happens Monday night? We all watched it. 11-point favorite. They go to Miami, and what ends up happening? They lose 77-75, a game that wasn't as close as that final score indicated. And Duke, all of a sudden, is now 7-6. and six. And how about this? 1-3 on the road, 0-3 oh in quad one games. And I'm just going to tell you right now, there's going to be some big debates on ESPN and FS1 and whatever Oh, what's Duke's path to the tournament? Who, where do they rank relative to this team? Duke is not a tournament team right now. They're 7-6 and six overall. They're in the 60s in the net. And as I said, they're 0-3 in quad one games. They have no good wins. And on top of that, um, they're really not winning it all the way from Cameron into Arena. And so when you look at this team, they're not a tournament team right now. And they're another one. They still largely have their toughest games ahead of them. This is a team that still has to play North Carolina twice. And somebody's going to have to win those games, by the way. This is still a team that has to play Virginia, the best team in this league. This is still a team that has to play Louisville for a second time, who's a pretty good team. This is a team that has to play Syracuse. This is a team that might have to have a makeup game with Florida State that didn't get played earlier in the season. So you start talking about Duke, 7-6 and six with no quad one wins? 
the, you know, everyone's talking about Kentucky and North, uh, Kentucky and Michigan State. I'm just telling you, Duke is not an NCAA tournament team right now. They could get there, but they got to win a lot of games that they haven't shown an ability to actually win, which sounds a lot like a lot of these teams on this list. Let's wrap up Michigan State. You know, Michigan State's another one. They had a great chance on Tuesday night. They played at uh, at Iowa, and it was funny because I was watching the game, and they played about as well offensively as they could possibly play, and they were down five at half. And I knew as soon as I saw that, I was like, there is no way that team is coming back to win this game. Sure enough, they lose, and with the loss, they're now 8-7, and 1-6 and six in quad one games. Look, they're no different than anybody else on this list. They're going to have opportunities ahead of them. And I'll say this too. Their next two games, Penn State at home, Nebraska at home. Those are two of the three worst teams in the Big Ten besides Michigan State. They will probably win both those games, get everybody excited, think they've turned a corner. It ain't going to happen. I'm just telling you right now. They still have to play Iowa again. They have Michigan on the schedule. Michigan probably the best team in the Big Ten, if not one of the two or three best teams in the country. They still have to play at Purdue, at Indiana. And so what I'm telling you is, Michigan State's another one. They got the games on their schedule to do it, but they are now ranked 13th in the Big Ten, and at least I have no reason to think that this is a team that is actually capable of winning the games needed to make the NCAA tournament. I would put their chances at this point of making the NCAA tournament, I don't know, 15%, 20%. This team ain't making it. And finally, there's Kentucky. You know, Kentucky's been off the radar. They haven't played since last week. Um, and, I, and, and John Calipari has said, like, I believe there's a path for us to make the NCAA tournament, um, you know, if we don't win the SEC tournament. Love Coach Cal, love the optimism. I just don't see it. They're 5-10 and 10 overall. Um, in terms of quad one wins, they have one quad one win in seven quad one games, one in seven and one in six in quad one games. That was at Florida. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, I guess in theory, if they go seven and one down the stretch or eight and oh down the stretch, they could make the tournament without playing it, without winning the SEC tournament. And I would say, like, I think the committee will give them the benefit of the doubt with how hard they scheduled in the out of conference, playing North Carolina, playing Kansas, playing Louisville, playing Richmond. But you got to actually win those games. And so to me, I'm looking at this schedule. Kentucky, like everybody else, they got the games on the schedule. They play Missouri on Wednesday night. Everybody listening to this show, you will watch the Missouri game tonight. They got two games with Tennessee starting this weekend. They got Arkansas at home. They got Auburn at home. Like, the wins are there to be had. There's just been nothing that we've seen that makes me think we can get them. So Kentucky, you know, they're right up there with Michigan State. 5 10% in terms of making the NCAA tournament if you don't win the conference tournament. But that's the state of the Blue Bloods, man. I'm telling you, outside of Kansas, I think it's pretty tenuous for just about all of them. And I think Michigan State and Kentucky are officially in, if they don't completely flip a switch mode, uh, they're out of there. Really quickly, I did mention, by the way, um, how about, uh, how about uh, EA Sports bringing back college football, college, uh, NCAA football? Great moment in time. Really exciting. It's fantastic. And I have nothing else to say other than it's awesome. I will say I did think it was funny. Um, I, uh, so for people who don't know, the old games used to have you know pretty lifelike rosters. And so if you played with Florida in the old game, you could play with somebody that basically was Tim Tebow, right? Number 15, it wouldn't say Tebow on his jersey, but you knew it was Tim Tebow. Well, now the rosters will not reflect um, the actual roster. So if you get the game and say, 
you want to play with um, Clemson next year, there won't be like a DJ Uwe Laganlele like like guy on that on that game. Um, and so, of course, you know, like I saw some like Darren Ravel types like, oh, well, this is going to ruin the game. It's not going to be the same. Stop it. First of all, it's great to just have EA Sports back. Second of all, I would add, is it the best part of playing NCAA football, like making your own roster? Isn't it just making a coach that kind of looks like you but is a little bit handsomer and a little bit trimmer and playing as your alma mater or playing as some random school? I mean, I remember I spent a whole freaking a year building a dynasty at Army. That was like one of the coolest things I did in, in my 20s. Didn't have a very fun 20s, but that's neither here nor there. But the point is, NCAA football's back, and I hear people complaining like, oh, oh my God, it's not going to be the same. It's not lifelike. Shut up. Shut up. It's back. Let's be happy about it. But great news as NCAA football is in fact back. And I think with that, I think it's time for me to get out of here. And so with that, Tom Hart is coming up, SEC Network, and he's awesome. For the record, we recorded Monday, so some of it might be a little bit dated, but for the most part, it should still be good to go. He's a great guy, great voice for the conference, and I really enjoyed talking about him, talk, talking to him, excuse me, about the conference. We talked about LSU. He did an LSU game the other day. We talked about Bama. We talked about Kentucky. Yada, 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 yada. So with that said, we'll get to Tom Hart in a minute. Before we get out of here, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, and uh, the YouTube page. You can find me there. A lot of good stuff from both this show and all the other shows and all the shows that I don't do. Extra segments. It'll be fun. You should follow it. But now, let's get to Tom Hart, SEC Network. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel Hates My Voice. And now, from the SEC Network, here's Tom Hart. All right, joining me via Zoom, very excited to have this guest. Uh, you obviously hear him every weekend throughout the week on SEC Network, all year long, football, basketball, uh, long admired your work. Tom Hart, I appreciate you joining me. How you doing? Hey, what's up, bud? Yeah, happy to do it, man. Great to see you. Yeah, it is great to see you. It is great to see you. It was great to see you uh, on site at LSU this weekend, and we'll get to uh, actually be in an arena in an arena in a minute. But I want to ask you, I was obviously uh, doing a little homework before we got on air today. Uh, you know, long, illustrious career for you that started, I saw, pre-SEC Network, pre-Big Ten Network with the Winston-Salem Warthogs. Um, you know, one, what can you tell us? What do you remember about that job? And, you know, in all seriousness, I think that probably a lot of people see your success. Well, probably the highlight of that was uh, okay. my time in, in the mascot costume when I dressed really? up as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you, you got to wear many hats in the minor leagues. Sure. So whether that was pulling tarp or cleaning up after fireworks or, or whatever it might be, um, got to be available and able to do everything. And that includes dressing up as Wally the Warthog. Okay. You know, if, if there's uh, somebody needs to get pictures for the, for the program or there's a festival or a carnival over the weekend. Yeah, it's your turn, man. You pull on the suit. And let me tell you, 
God bless the people that, that work as mascots. I, I know the pros <laughs> have unlimited budgets for Febreze, but in the minors, not so much. The nastiest, smelliest, most uncomfortable, disgusting outfit you could imagine to slide into for a, you know, a three-hour carnival in the southern heat. Not a whole lot of fun. That's what I was going to say, you know, and, and that's why I wanted to ask, you know, I think everybody sees you on the SEC network, you know, looking sharp, nice suit, all that stuff. But, you know, everybody starts somewhere. And I think for a lot of young people, that'll be a good story to hear. But uh, you were in an arena this weekend, which I think was probably refreshing for you. Real quick, we'll get to it in a minute, but you were at LSU for LSU, Texas Tech. We'll get to the game itself. But how nice was it? I don't know how many opportunities. I know uh, towards the end of football, you were able to do some games in person. But how nice is it just to get back into an arena, feel a little sense of normalcy? Well, there's, st it's, there's still no normal, um, yeah. and it's still a situation where, you know, instead of being courtside, you're like we're literally in the last row above, literally above the banners in uh, <laughs> Pete Maravich Assembly Center. But just happy to be there. You know, there, there's – I don't know if people understand. Um, there's so much to be gained from being in an arena – in person versus doing it over the uh, over the zoom call that we has become our new normal and there's there's stuff that you can see that you don't have to rely on the cameras on there's the mood in the building that you can't really feel when you're doing it uh you know two-dimensionally but to me most importantly is to just FaceTime with with players and coaches you know we got to spend 30 minutes with chris beard we got to watch texas tech shoot around we got to um talk to mac mcclung about the you know, his insight into late clock situations. And lo and behold, they go on a 12 nothing run in the last minute of that game and his late clock situation and court awareness leads to a Texas Tech win. SIDs are, are the backbone of what we do. And, and they've done an amazing job in making things as normal for us as possible and getting us the access that, that we need. That being said, you just, you can't, replicate what it's like to be face to face with somebody and the information you get is better the conversations are easier you never know what direction it's going to go and um that's that's where it's invaluable to be on site versus doing it from home well that that segues perfectly to the game itself um you know it was i was watching the whole thing i thought it was one of the games of the year um and i'll just ask you you were in the arena, so it was great that, you know, of one of the first opportunities to get to be in an arena is one of the best games of the season. Uh, take us through, and I know you don't cover Texas Tech on a day-to-day -day basis, but uh, another, I, I don't know if it's a, you know, we do this thing where, like, early in the season, Final Four, they, they just look like a team that is starting to gel and is going to get scarier as the season goes on. Yeah, I was really impressed seeing them in person. Of course, I'd watched a number of their games and and watched closely and and uh, you know leading up to this and watching their shoot around. Um, but it was really interesting to me, and I didn't I didn't see this previously. Just how McClung and Shannon can lead in different ways. You know, um, Mac McClung had a great first half. And then he was terrible in the second half from a production standpoint, just from a point production standpoint, he, he disappeared. TJ Shannon was there, but not really putting points up in the first half. He picked up where McClung slacked off in the second. 
And that set the stage for their finish. You know, like they go on a 12 nothing run in the final minute of that game that was only made possible by McClung still having the confidence to track down a loose ball and fire it up from 22 feet when he'd only, I think to that point, it only had two points in the entire second half. So they're interesting, you know, the DNA of Texas Tech and with Chris Beard will always be defense first, but TJ Shannon is incredibly athletic. Man, that guy can make plays left and right. McClung has a basketball sense that, you know, you just just watch him play and you get a feel that he knows where everybody is on the court. He knows what his role is. Um, I always think great players that, that have a feel are kind of like great gamblers in that they see the odds in their head while everybody else is trying to figure out what the right move is. They already know what the right move is. And, and Mac McClung knows, you know, this might be a tough shot for me but this has a 60 percent success rate and if i give it up then we got a 30 percent success rate on this possession and it's just all intuition gambler's intuition baller intuition what do you want to think of it so they're they're a really good team central silva gives them uh you know a post presence a rim protector inside they've got some depth they've got good length uh, micah Peavy, the freshman goes six seven so yeah, I mean, they're a legit top 10 team. I think that the way we think about the NCAA tournament and teams' probability for success, though, is, is going to be totally different, obviously, than anything we've ever seen. We can't use the historical norms going into this tournament because we've never seen one like this. Everyone's going to basically be on the same site. We're going to have testing for seven days straight coming into it. There's going to be inconsistencies from schedules even as recently as a week before that. We don't know what conference tournaments are going to look like. So I think in that, in that regard, if you're trying to pick a national champion or even a Final Four, you've got to cast an even wider net. You know, There's more opportunities for teams on the fringes. And as great as Gonzaga and Baylor are, I think there's more opportunities for elite teams to get upset in this scenario. We'll, we'll wait and see. We don't know. I mean, that's just my guess. So that's really interesting. So, you know, in some ways you'd think it'd be the exact opposite, less travel, um, you know, uh, uh, you're not playing in an arena closer to your opponent than you, all that kind of stuff. So you think, you know, and you've been in these arenas and you've talked to these coaches more than anybody. Um, let me just ask you in the bigger picture. I mean, what has the sense been this year in talking to coaches just about operating in uh, this environment where there is no home court advantage, where you can see a Texas Tech go on a big run? By the way, the game before, they had the, they had the exact same thing happened to them where they gave up a big run late to West Virginia. So what, what are you just hearing from coaches in terms of how to prepare in-game stuff? Because it is a season unlike any we've ever seen. And frankly, we probably ever will see again. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I've, I've had this talk with a lot of, a lot of coaches. I, I actually feel like I had a head start on some of these college basketball coaches because I'd been through an MLB season. I'd been through a college football season. I've talked with guys who've, who understand, it took them a while, but they understand the improbabilities of all this. They understand that everything's out of your control. And it's really hard for coaches because just because Chris Beard has done it one way for five years at Texas Tech doesn't mean that that way is going to be successful this season or even within a game. And so coaches have had to, 
figure out what works and they're trying to figure it out on the fly. Um, I'll give you a good example. I had South Carolina last week and we go into the game and, you know, Frank Martin is, is, has been sick. He's still sick. He's had COVID twice. Um, he's a guy that, that loves to both kick his players in the backside and then put his arm around him and, and the physical touch and the camaraderie and the relationships that he builds. He doesn't have the opportunity to do that. And so he just totally scrapped his defense. Defense that he's been running for, you know, 25 years. He's like, we're not going to do that tonight. We're going to play different defensively than I've ever played before because I can't motivate my guys to play defense the way I want them to. Wow. So instead of picking up at half court and overplaying the passing lanes and being aggressive um, and try to turn guys over and playing, you know, not that they wouldn't play hard, but playing hard for 40 minutes, he's like, we're going to – pick up at the NBA three-point line. We're going to sag off. We're going to play in the gaps. We're going to look more pack line than, you know, aggressive man-to-man. And we'll see if it works. Now, it worked that night. It, it didn't work over the weekend. But our coaches are, are learning that um, there's no – the track record means nothing right now. Their, their experience, um, what they've done for their entire lives means nothing. They have to reinvent themselves on the fly. And I once again – you know, we'll see that. I think that's one of the reasons we see so many ebbs and flows during the season outside of the elite, right? I mean, nobody's been more consistent than Gonzaga or Baylor, um, but it's hard to be consistent in this world. And it, it'll show itself, I believe, in conference tournaments, which I think we'll have. And then it's going to show itself again in the NCAA tournament. A perfect segue. I mean, it's obviously probably the biggest story in the SEC is what's going on at Kentucky. And, and the reason I, I, I think it's a segue is because, as you said, the way any program has been doing things for the past, you know, 10, 5, 15 years, whatever it is, is not going to be the same this year. And I bring up Kentucky because we know the story, we know the narrative, but, you know, I don't think I really realized it was funny. I was watching Michigan State on Sunday and a lot of the things that John Calipari has spoken about rotations, uh, all that stuff. Tom Izzo was talking about in the pregame. So did, what do you make of Kentucky? I don't know how many of their games that you've had, um, but I don't think that I realized until I started watching other programs how much of an impact that this stuff would have on a situation like Kentucky with obviously so much continuous roster turnover. I think there's there's certainly parallels because kind of what I just was talking about a moment ago, coaches are used to doing it their way. They've built to this way, especially coaches who have been in the game as long as whether it's Frank Martin Thomas or John Calipari, whether you have a national title or not, you've, you've reached this point because you do it a certain way. I think it's exacerbated with this Kentucky team because there's so many new faces and any other time in, in college basketball history in the last 10, 15 years where you have newcomers, it's fine. Like John Calipari has a schedule in his mind. If it's not written down on his desk, of this is how we're going to proceed through the season. This is when we should be hitting on all strides. This is where everybody should kind of be pulling the rope in the same direction. And there might be a learning curve on the front end of the season. Well, that learning curve now goes throughout the entire season. What you can expect out of you guys, how hard you can push them. Um, I saw Kentucky in the preseason. I watched, you know, via tape, I watched a, a bunch of their scrimmages. I saw them in person for the pro day. I saw them in person for the blue-white. Or, or Big Blue Madness, I guess it was. Olivier Saar looked like a pro, like an absolute pro. He's a seven-footer 
who runs the floor, had a nice mid-range game, could even be a threat from, from the college three-point range, was a good ball handler in transition. He looked awesome. And I could not – I mean, this guy, in my mind, I thought, well, this is the SEC player of the year. Now, Boston didn't look overly impressive to me in the preseason, so I was waiting to see – but that's, that's not uncommon – even even for you know McDonald's All America to get to Kentucky and for it to take some time for him to hit his stride, but I think the the lack of impactfulness that Olivier Saar has has shown, not just you know the la- last calendar year, but now in the conference play, I think that's a that's a real concern for Kentucky. That's that's why they're one of the reasons they're not where they thought they would be. Um, that doesn't take anything, in my opinion, doesn't take anything away from who John Calipari is or how great a coach he is or, or tarnish his legacy or his resume. He's still the best coach for Kentucky basketball. He's still a Hall of Famer. I mean, it's, we're in a global pandemic. You know, these guys are just like all of us. They're dealing with things that they've never had to deal with before and in ways that they've never had to think about coaching. Um, I don't, you know, all that being said, I don't think Michigan State is a uh, is an NCAA tournament team. I don't think Kentucky's an NCAA tournament team. I think, you know, there'll be blue bloods missing out on the tournament we didn't expect. But I still wouldn't bet against a Tom Izzo team in late February, March. He, his February record is incredible. I still wouldn't bet against a John Calipari team in the SEC tournament. Uh, they both, probably Kentucky more than Michigan State, Kentucky's got the talent to go on a run. Kentucky's got the talent to put things together. Boston has been playing better lately. And if they can come out of this um, COVID shutdown, we'll see how long it lasts. Then, yeah, I mean, shoot, they could be Tennessee Saturday night. I I don't think that would surprise anybody. Last question, I'll let you go. And I I appreciate you doing this. Um, You know, what are you looking for over the last half of the season, if you will? I mean, obviously, it seems like Alabama's pretty entrenched. Tennessee's pretty entrenched. You know, your alma mater, Missouri, uh, hot and cold, but they're they're in pretty good shape. But, you know, you have a program like LSU that's up and down, Arkansas. What do you make of, of the second half of the season? What are you looking for? Well, I'm glad you touched on Alabama. I, I want to see if Alabama is still motivated to play good team defense. I think they're that's a part of their game that gets overlooked. I think their the efficiency is really good. They can be a great defensive team. Herb Jones has to be healthy. He didn't seem like he was 100% this weekend in the game in Norman. I mean, he is he's the SEC player of the year in my eyes to this point. Um, and I want to see if Alabama – can keep up their offensive proficiency. They're going to have inefficient nights, but they still have to be a threat offensively. Um, that's that's the fascinating point to me. I want to see if LSU can come out of this mini slump. We know they can score with, with just about anybody. Uh, can they be motivated to play better team defense? And it seems like Mike White's really got Florida on the right track. They got Scotty Lewis back. That was a huge win this weekend. Um, those are... Those teams, in my estimation, are the, the class of the SEC. And there's, it's to me, the, my overarching theme for college basketball this year, it's not necessarily who you play, it's when you play them. There will be so many ups and downs and peaks and valleys. So for those teams I mentioned, it's can you sustain and then can you, can you get it ramped up and be playing great basketball once we get to the middle of March? 
Tom Hart, uh, SEC Network. Dude, you're so busy, man. And I, I genuinely appreciate you making a few minutes. I've wanted to talk to you. I love hearing you on all these calls. So thank you for the time. You know, at some point in the future, we'll do it again. But I genuinely appreciate it, my man. Anytime, Aaron. Be good, man. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.